0: Hi everyone, this is Alicia Halliday, and this is the ASF Weekly Science Podcast. I missed you last week, and I might miss you next week. Remember, send me your ideas for future podcasts. When we get back from my break, we'll update you on a special article on siblings of those with ASD and why I call them super sibs. This week, I want to talk about a topic that doesn't really get much attention but it's one that deeply affects people with autism across ages, but mostly adults. These are eating disorders. I'm glad that there's been some new research on this because it's been hard to understand how common it is, how eating disorders in autistic people may be different from those who are typically developing, and even the subtle differences across eating disorders. This podcast will focus on anorexia and how it's experienced in females on the spectrum. There is research also on things like stress eating in parents, and lots of research, as you will hear, on picky eating in kids, but not that much research on eating disorders specifically. Eating disorders in general are more prevalent in females without ASD, so it shouldn't surprise you that they are more prevalent in females with ASD compared to males with ASD. Now, who's more susceptible? Are there psychological factors that are important? We need more research. First, I wanna talk about a scoping review. Our friends from the North, which is Canada, looked at both feeding and eating problems in children and adolescents with autism. Adults were not included in this review, so most of the literature was focused around feeding issues. Feeding issues are things like picky eating and food avoidance, and we all know this is common in autistic youth. I do wanna point out that things like restricting food intake and preoccupation with body shape and weight, that's an eating disorder. And 10 to 30% of people on the spectrum, mostly females, met criteria for an eating disorder. And the rest of them, 40%, didn't meet criteria for the eating disorder, but were just below cutoff. Now, this is summaries from different studies. Why? Are there shared genetic underpinnings? Does it have to do with cognitive inflexibility? around food and eating? Are there specific autism traits that influence restrictive eating, like sensory issues? Is it anorexia or something different? And how can we help people with eating issues, both with and without autism, to be frank? Stay tuned, I'm gonna focus on that later. But first, this scoping review that, like most of the research, ended up focusing on feeding issues. That's because in the scoping review, there were 90% of articles having to do with feeding issues and 10% had to do with eating disorders. That's what the research has been focused on. So that's what ended up in the review. Doesn't mean that 90% of people's problems are feeding. It means that 90% of the published research is on feeding. I'll talk about what some of the new studies around eating disorders say, but this scoping review did reinforce the idea that most of the literature is on feeding issues, not eating issues. Of those 90% of the feeding issues of that literature, 86% had to do with selective intake, which means things like eating only white foods or problems with texture. These issues were five times more likely in autistic individuals compared to other neurodevelopmental disorders like ADHD, and 15 times more likely compared to people who are neurotypical. Now, do these feeding problems get better over time? Sometimes they do, but just like all autism outcomes, it seems, there's different trajectories. So some of these feeding issues stay stable, some improve, some get worse. Food textures are the primary reason for food refusal in kids. And kids and adolescents with autism also have issues with food presentation. In this case, there's a refusal to eat unless food is arranged in a certain way. I mention these things because parents may not understand that this is common. They may feel alone or isolated because their child will not eat. It is common. You're not alone. They're related to sensory issues, not necessarily cognitive ability or adaptive functioning. In kids, they seem to happen all along the autism spectrum. Two studies did find a link between autism severity and food selectivity, but it could be that not all studies are looking at cognitive ability and adaptive functioning or autism severity. Let's talk about now what we know on eating disorders. Now these are characterized by significantly low body weight, fear of weight gain or persistent behavior that interferes with weight gain and a disproportionate influence of weight and shape on self-evaluation. And finally, a lack of recognition of their own weight. That's the APA definition. The numbers I gave of 10 to 30% of an eating disorder of people on the spectrum means that this is a huge problem. 10 to 30% of people with autism, mostly females, have an eating disorder. Now, what about the reverse? What about autistic traits in people without autism, but with an eating disorder? The results seem to be mixed. These autistic traits are seen in those who are both experiencing an eating disorder and recovering from an eating disorder, particularly anorexia. But a meta-analysis did see an increase in autistic traits just in females, because they only looked at females, with anorexia, but not a diagnosis of ASD. So again, pulling the literature together, there does seem to be an increase in autistic traits. That's not to pathologize an autism trait, and it's not to say that people with autism traits should or should not receive different interventions for autism, for eating disorder therapy, but I'll get to that in a minute. Now there is overlap. I mean, clearly there's overlap between autism traits, autism and eating disorders. So there should be a better understanding of what's causing that overlap. Incidentally, there's some very preliminary work looking at the oxytocin receptor, which has been explained to you guys as the love hormone, um, that, that some people with um, an autism diagnosis show differences in. But I have to say that study that looked at it didn't compare those with ASD and eating disorders. They just looked at the mutations themselves and saw that the same mut- receptor change were similar across both autism and eating disorders. We clearly need more research on this, but that's just a little tidbit for you. Just like everything autism, not one statement applies to everyone. Research out of the UK showed that individuals with a current anorexia diagnosis and a recovering anorexia diagnosis showed intermediate levels of social communication symptoms, scoring between those with autism and those who are neurotypical, so they were somewhat in the middle. On the other hand, individuals with anorexia scored the same as those with autism on restrictive and repetitive behavior. The study didn't specify whether the scores were generated from restrictive interests, cognitive inflexibility, or specific behaviors or what. That is an important distinction to be made. In fact, many items endorsed by individuals with autism were also apparent in individuals with acute and also recovered stages of anorexia. Now think about that. Autistic adults and those with eating disorders have the same levels of restrictive and repetitive behaviors. No wonder there's overlap. But okay, not, let's not just describe the problem. Let's talk about what we need to do to address it. First, let's hear from people that are affected with both eating disorders and autism. Another UK study, which included researcher Kate Chanchuria, who appears on a lot of autism eating disorder studies, and Kate, I'm sorry if I massacred your last name, interviewed people with anorexia with autism spectrum disorders, as well as those parents and healthcare workers who help people with anorexia to find out what's going on. They asked them to share their experiences of services for eating disorders. They did interviews and then they compiled something called a thematic analysis to get the major themes out of the responses. Those themes were one misunderstanding of autism and autistic traits, Two, one treatment does not fit all. And three, the need to improve accessibility and engagement within eating disorder services. One thing that popped up was that many of those with ASD and eating disorders didn't have a diagnosis of ASD when they started eating disorder services. There were many behaviors that may have been misconstrued by healthcare providers. There were a lot of referrals for services to multiple service providers because they showed these traits and they didn't know if they were a part of the autism, they didn't know if they were a part of the eating disorders. Healthcare providers expressed concern that without that autism diagnosis, some of the overlap in things like cognitive inflexibility and anorexia may muddle things. They don't know where it's coming from and they don't really know how to help. I wanna say and reiterate, this is one of the reasons why early and accurate diagnosis of ASD is so important. There are so many reasons, but this is one. As far as interventions were concerned, some women with ASD and eating disorders didn't feel like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the standard for eating disorders, was helping them. They didn't like group therapy and the social demands of group therapy. Again, better diagnosis may help identify those who benefit from different therapies Again, better diagnosis of ASD might help better identify those who benefit from certain therapies. Some autistic women mentioned therapies that work for them. I'll note that, but I don't want to list them because those were anecdotal. The point is, one treatment does not work for everyone. I know, that's shocking. Autistic women with anorexia also expressed that they had a hard time communicating their challenges and issues with healthcare professionals, Again, I think this kind of goes to understanding autism in a way, because the knowledge that someone has an autism diagnosis may allow a healthcare provider to kind of reevaluate their communication style. Things like environmental adjust- adjustments to accommodate needs were appreciated. There's an overarching feeling that given the rate of eating disorders is high in autistic women, there needs to be a better understanding of autism within eating disorder services to ensure those with autism are getting the help that they need. In this study, again, none of the women had an early autism diagnosis, and it did not help them. It hurt. It complicated things. An earlier diagnosis is needed, and if high levels of autism traits are present, you need to address that. The article actually went so far as to suggest that all anorexic women be given an autism screener. They did mention that some of the screening tools for adults like the AQ10 has actually not been validated in those who are anorexic, but it is a start. We need to help women with eating disorders. We need to help autistic women with eating disorders. Earlier diagnosis of ASD may help But flexibility in interventions and communication with those with ASD with their autism diagnosis in mind is important. Thank you for listening this week. I'm sure I just barely touched on this issue, but science needs to do better. Thank you. Talk to you soon.